Well, as we think about sacrifice this weekend, we have to think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There was no greater sacrifice that gave life to all humanity than that of Jesus Christ on the cross. He gave his life for our sin. He gave his body broken and beaten for our punishment. And then he rose victoriously to give us something else, eternal life. And um, Peter was also a man who followed Jesus and sacrificed his life as well. Now, his sacrifice does not bring us salvation, but he was a follower of Jesus, and he ended up giving his life in service to his Lord and Savior. And as Tim mentioned last week, we're going to start a series in 2 Peter. We're going to go through the book of 2 Peter. Pastor Matt and Pastor Tim will lead us through that. And Pastor Matt asked if I would give you kind of a prequel to 2 Peter. So I'm actually going to do a sermon today on the life of Peter. And the sermon I have right here is actually version 3.0. I had written this sermon about two weeks ago, and uh, it felt like I really just wrote um, like a sixth grade book report on Peter. And if I had to grade it, I would have gotten a C minus. Um, so I, I, I felt uncomfortable and I began praying and reading some things. And then I landed on a passage about that Peter was involved in and I loved it. I loved it so much. I felt like this is the message. But then as the week went on, I, I didn't think it was the message anymore. So that was version two. So for version three, I thought the best thing to do was to take one and two and just smush them together. So that's what three is. But here's a little twist this morning. Someone told me as I was talking to them this morning that they were praying that I would go off script. (laughs) So if I get halfway through three and then we get to version four, don't be surprised. It's okay. It's okay. So we're going to look at the life of Peter. We're going to do a bit of a spiritual biography, a biographical sketch of this person called Peter who followed Jesus. And I'm going to, in the beginning, give you some Peter was statements. Okay, I'm going to give you several Peter was statements, and you'll probably resonate with them. And then after we get through the Peter was statements, I want to go to that passage that I really resonated with, and I want to park there for a little bit. So let's open to Luke right now, Luke chapter 5. In the beginning, there are going to be a lot of passages that we're going to walk through, okay? We're going to read them, I'll say a comment, and then we're going to move on. So we'll be flipping around a lot in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then in the book of Acts. And so Luke 5, 1 through 10, this is Peter's calling in the book of Luke. This is when Jesus came and said, Peter, you're you're going to follow me. And here's the story. On one occasion, Luke 5, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he'd asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. The first thing we need to know about Peter was this, that Peter was a sinner. Peter was a sinner. He might have been an apostle. He might have been the first follower of Jesus. But Peter was a sinner by his own admission. When he came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, and when the Lord Jesus Christ did a miraculous catch of fish, Peter realized he was in the presence of someone special. And that realization caused him to think about who he was, and what he realized was that he was a sinner. It's very similar to the call of Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 6. When he's in the presence of God, he realizes that he is a man of unclean lips, is what Isaiah says. Well, let's keep reading because in verse 11 it says this, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Not only was Peter a sinner, but Peter was also all in. Peter had that kind of personality where he was all in. He just left everything and started following Jesus. He left his livelihood. He left his boats. It's very similar to uh, 1 Kings 19 when Elijah calls the prophet Elisha. And Elisha says, hold on a second. Let me go kiss my parents. And he comes back and he kills his oxen and he takes the yokes that are on the oxen and he uses them to cook the meat of the oxen. And then he follows Elijah. Very similar to that story. Peter was a man who was all in. And so Peter starts following Jesus. And if you turn to Matthew, we'll be in Matthew for a little bit. Peter was a sinner. Peter was all in. And then we get to Matthew 14, 23 through 29. And this is after the feeding of the 5,000, verse 23. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. This is Jesus. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And in verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Peter was a sinner. He was all in. And Peter was fearless. He got out of a boat in the middle of a storm because something, someone that looked like a ghost said, Come. I don't know if I would do that. I've been on a cruise ship before, and I remember looking over into the dark water in the middle of the night, and if I saw somebody walking on the water, I'd probably just go back to my room. <laughs> I'm like, nope, not going there. But Peter was fearless when the Lord said, come. He went. But we didn't finish reading. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Not only was Peter fearless, but Peter was fearful. Split personality, Peter. See, in one moment, he was fearless, and he gets out of the boat, and he walks on water. And the next moment, he goes, this is not a good idea. And he begins to drown, and the Lord reaches out and pulls him out of the water. Peter. Matthew 16, just two chapters later. Verse 13, we're going to see a little bit more of Peter's split personality or 
kind of his back and forth. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 17. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Verse 15, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Bar-Jonah just means son of Jonah. Bar is Hebrew for son. And so Peter was a, a sinner, and he was all in, and he was fearless, and then he was fearful, and then Peter was also here blessed by Jesus for getting it right. He makes this profound statement, who, who are you? You're, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, yes, that is exactly right. But we need to keep reading. This is Peter's biography. Here we go. Let's skip down a few verses to verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus reveals what's going to happen. He will be killed. Verse 22 of Matthew 16, And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Do you you have the gall to rebuke Jesus? Have you ever rebuked Jesus? Have you ever read scripture and stopped and gone, you know what? I don't think that's right. I'm gonna have to have a conversation with you, Jesus. And yet Peter found the audacity to rebuke Jesus. Well, I'm sure Jesus has something to say. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of man. Just as Peter correctly proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ and he was blessed by Jesus, in the very next interaction with Jesus, Peter was rebuked by Jesus for getting it wrong. Peter got it right, but then Peter got it wrong. Peter was fearless, but then Peter was fearful. And you begin to see, this is Peter. He, he is a strange person. He can't figure out who he wants to be. Let's keep going. We're almost through this biographical sketch before we get to the passage I'm really excited to teach on this morning. Matthew 17 Verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter has witnessed this incredible transfiguration, and Jesus is now shining bright. And Moses and Elijah appear there, and I just get the sense that Peter is like, uh, 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 you want me to make tents for you? And then a voice comes from heaven, verse 5. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen 
to him. Peter. I put that in there. That's not in there. But I get the idea that Peter is so enamored with what's going on and and he doesn't know what what to do or what to say because to, to me, I see that Peter was prone to speaking before thinking, often in Scripture, wasn't he? He was prone to speak and then think about what he said. And in this moment, I think this highlights that. Should I, should, I, should I honor the three of you? And the voice from heaven comes down and says, No, Peter, listen to Jesus. We're almost done. We have two more to go. Matthew 26, we're still in Matthew, towards the end. This is giving you a picture of who Peter is, or who Peter was. In Matthew 26, verse 30, through 35. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the disciples and Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That comes out of Zechariah. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then Peter, speaking before thinking, answered him, though they all fail away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter said, he doubles down here, even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Matthew 26, 69. Let's turn there. Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with, with uh, excuse me, you were also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And then he went out to the entrance, and another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, the people all around, Now this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it, but this time with an oath, I do not know the man. Verse 73, after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, the crowd is closing in on him, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself, and he began to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You know what else Peter was? Peter was a complete failure. He was a total failure. He boldly stated that he would never deny Jesus. And moments later, he denied him three times. Peter fell short on his promise. He was a total failure. But then we get to the book of Acts, and we find a different Peter. This is the last one. For those of you who like history, you will be sad. For those of you who wish I would just move on, you're welcome. Last one. Here we go. Acts 2, verses 14 through 16. Jesus has resurrected. Jesus has restored Peter after, Jesus, or excuse me, after Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus restored him three times. And then we get to the book of Acts, which takes the story of the disciples and their spreading of the message of Jesus after Jesus ascends into heaven and says this in verses 14 through 16 of Acts 2. 
But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. He's addressing a crowd. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. See, at this point, the Spirit had fallen upon the people, and they're all confused because they're speaking in different languages, but they can hear themselves. And some people think the crowd is drunk. And Peter stands up on behalf of the eleven, and he begins to preach, to share boldly the message of Jesus. And if you skip to verse 36 in Acts 2, it says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so what we see here in the book of Acts, and if you keep reading Acts, you'll, you'll see that Peter was bold for the faith. He was bold for the faith. This is Peter. This is Peter. A man who had it right and then who got it really, really wrong. A man who stood and boldly proclaimed and then a man who cowered and hid from just a servant girl. And I think if you reflect, you probably realize that you can be some of this too when it comes to following Jesus. Maybe you have these moments of great faith, but maybe you have these moments of great failure. Maybe you have these moments where you're fearless and you would do anything for Jesus and the next moment you're just so afraid. So afraid. I, I feel like Peter. I really do. I really do. And as I think about his life, there's a story that I was reading that I want to park in this morning, that I think kind of um, provides a foundation for all that we know about Peter. We know he was a lot of things. But this story to me is so important because it's not really about who Peter was, it's about who someone else was to Peter. And despite all that Peter was, I think it's this moment that I want you to remember about the life of Peter. So turn to John 6. We're going to be in John 6 for a little bit. John chapter 6. This comes um, after the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So the beginning of chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000. And there's some other things that go on. And then there's something towards the end of chapter 6 that Peter says that I I feel is so profound that I want to share it with you this morning. And when I share it with you, I also want you to remember all of the Peter was statements that I just said to you today. And in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Now, that was just the men. There were women and children. And so he takes five loaves of bread and two fishes, and he blesses them, and they multiply, and miraculously, everyone that's there is fed, and there's leftover food. Leftover food. Now, I understand, if you have growing teenagers, you don't, you don't know what this means. You can't, you can't understand that context. You go to the store constantly, and, and as, <laughs> as soon as you come home, it's gone. I, I understand. But look, just picture this. There was actually food left over, and it was such a miraculous feeding that the people begin to look for Jesus again. That's what's going on in John chapter 6. So let's start in verse 25. When they found him, meaning Jesus, the crowd, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? 
And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Verse 31, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. Remember, Pastor Tim talked about that in the Lord's Prayer. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're challenging Jesus. Jesus, God gave the sign of bread from heaven in the wilderness. What will you do for us, Jesus, to prove to prove who you are, that we should believe in you? Verse 32, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. They're not really getting it. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And so there's this back and forth between Jesus and the crowd about bread from heaven, about manna, about himself. And at the end, he just has to say it so plainly, I am the bread from heaven. I am the one that God has sent so that you may live eternally. He's talking about me. That's what Jesus is saying. And the story continues. So in verse 41, skip down a few verses. The Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They don't like this. They don't like what Jesus said. Verse 42, they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? They're struggling. They're really struggling here because Jesus is kind of claiming to be God and he's talking about being bred from heaven and he's talking about giving eternal life and these people who follow Jesus can't really wrap their mind around it because the Jews were looking for a savior, for a Messiah. They were looking for the promised one that God was going to send, but it couldn't be Jesus because they know Jesus. They know his mom and dad and it can't be him. They had this idea that the Messiah would be somebody who was so fantastic that you wouldn't know anything about him. He would just appear on the scene. And he would appear on the scene and he would fight the Romans and he would restore the Jewish empire. And all would be well. And Jesus is not doing any of that. So they're grumbling and they're worried and they can't figure out why he keeps claiming to be the bread of life. And so in verse 51, let's go down there. Jesus is going to continue to explain to them what he means. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then it turns weird. It turns really weird there. You just were fed bread by this man named Jesus. And now you're following him around and you're looking for more bread. And he goes, I got bread for you. You want a bite of my arm? You want some flesh? I got some bread for you. And so (laughs) they're confused. Now, I don't think he's literally telling people to do this, but let's just keep reading for a second. Verse 52, Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and now drink my blood, you have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. Okay, let me just stop. This is so weird. If you are a Jew waiting for the Messiah to come, this is not what you are picturing, okay? I think I'm in verse 56 still. Whoever drinks my blood and abides in me, I will be in him. In 57, as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread of the fathers that they ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And he gives such a weird and strange and confusing and disturbing message about his body and his blood. And it's actually so disturbing that when you go to verse 60, the disciples themselves, now this is not the 12, there's other people who are following Jesus at this time. They're just not known as the 12. Okay? There are other disciples. And in verse 60, they begin to question what Jesus is saying. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, and he said to them, do you take offense at this? Uh, yeah, I do. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and, it was, and he knew who it was who would betray him. Verse 65. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's verse 66. There's this incredibly difficult, strange teaching that Jesus gives after the feeding of the 5,000, and it goes from bread and fish to flesh and blood, and you have to eat it, and you have to drink it if you want eternal life. It sounds like a weird cult. And some of the people who've been following Jesus are really struggling with this concept. And it's not just the crowd, which we started with in the beginning of John 6. Then we move to the Jews. And now in verse 60, we're talking about his disciples, those who have followed him around for a while and are learning his teachings. Now, they're not necessarily believers yet. We see that in John 6 because he knew some of them didn't believe. But these people who said they were disciples, followers of Jesus, in verse 66, they turn back. And they no longer walk with him. They turn away from him. They sever ties with him. At one point, they thought, this guy is it. And then they decide, he's not who we thought he was. He's completely different. In fact, he's just the son of Joseph and the son of Mary. And so they leave him, and they walk away. They turn their back on Jesus, and they leave because they no longer believe that he's worth following. They no longer believe that he's a candidate to be the Son of God, to be the Messiah, to be the Savior that they've been waiting for. And they leave him, and then Jesus turns to his disciples. This is the 12th. Let me back up in 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. In verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, 
do you want to go away as well? Do you want to physically leave me? But not just physically. That, that word doesn't mean just physical. It means to completely sever any ties or any relationship that you have with Jesus. Now, we're not talking about a saving relationship here. We're talking about people who aren't believers, who have severed the relationship with Jesus, who've walked away and said, Jesus is not for me. And Jesus turns to his disciples, and with kind of a negative expectation, he says, well, do you want to leave me too? Do you want to leave me too? Let's pause for a second. It's not easy to follow Jesus. It is not easy to follow Jesus. And you see that in the life of Peter. He had great moments, and then he had really bad moments. And I'm sure at some point Peter thought, I'm not really cut out for this. This guy's crazy. (laughs) He's talking about flesh and blood and eating it, and I'm sure the 12 are sitting around going, I got to process this for a second. Give me a second. And Jesus asked this question, and Peter then is going to reply in 68. This this is what I couldn't stop thinking about in version 2 of my, my message. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, I got nothing else. I've got no one else. I have been a Jew all my life. I have been waiting all my life. I have been fishing all my life. I have spoken to many rabbis all my life. And here in this moment, Peter says, of all the people that I've ever known and ever met, there is no one like you. And so I've made up my mind, Jesus, where else am I going to go? I have nobody else to turn to. There is no one else that is worthy of me leaving everything, my boat, my fishing nets, everything, and following. There is nobody except for you. Lord, to whom shall we go? Because, Lord, I believe that you have the words of life. And I think what Peter is saying here is that he was a lot of things, but in this moment, you finally see not who Peter was, but who Jesus was to Peter. And I believe this. I believe that Jesus was everything to Peter. Peter was a lot of things. He was a sinner. He was all in. He was fearless. He was fearful. He got blessed for saying the right thing. He got rebuked for saying the wrong thing. He spoke before he thought. He was total failure. And he was completely bold for the faith. But I think in all of those moments, of, of all that we've seen, what Peter was, I don't think those are the things that you should focus on and most remember about Peter. Because what I think you need to remember about Peter was this, which is on your screen, that Jesus was everything to Peter, despite who Peter was. I resonate with Peter. I have moments of faithfulness, and I have moments of faithlessness. And I feel that I'm sometimes like him, and I talk before I think. And sometimes I have these moments where I'm, I'm just so on fire for the Lord, and I'm sharing the gospel, and then I have these moments 
where I, I don't even want to open the Bible. I don't want to pray. Sometimes I don't even want to come to church. It's my job, so I have to. But I feel like Peter's life is my life, and maybe Peter's life is your life, and maybe you resonate with some of those things that are written there. But I hope most of all that you resonate with the fact that Jesus was everything to Peter in your ups and downs and your spiritual journey. Is Jesus everything to you? That's my question. So who is Jesus to you? To Peter, Jesus was everything, but who is Jesus to you? You can't live Peter's life. You can't make Peter's proclamation. You can't have his belief. You have to have your own. You have to come to a point in your life where you say, I've got nothing else. I've got no one else. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've pursued money. I've tried this drug. I've tried this drink. I've tried this religion. I've done this, that, and everything. But you've got to get to the point like Peter did and say, but Jesus is the only thing. That's what I love about this passage. Peter makes such a great declaration. And I can tell you that in the ups and downs of your life when you feel that you're pulling a Peter... And when you feel like your life is oscillating between faith and faithlessness, you have to remember that Jesus was everything. And so if you could walk away with something this morning, I'd like you to walk away with this. Make Jesus your everything. If you've been a follower of Jesus for what feels like your entire life, continue to make Jesus your everything. If you're a follower of Jesus and you failed and you slipped up and you've sinned and you've sinned royally and you've sinned so bad that you've screwed up your life, make Jesus your everything. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, if you're watching online and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't put your faith in him and you've tried everything that you could think of, you've tried this religion and that religion, you've tried to make more money, you've tried a new job, maybe you've tried a new girlfriend, maybe you've tried a new wife, I don't know, a new spouse. Maybe you thought that was the answer. I want to tell you this morning, if that's you, make Jesus your everything. Put your faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. He went to the cross to sacrifice his life for you and I so that we could have life eternal. And that's what Peter declared. Lord, who else can I go to? Where else can I go? I need life. And in you, Jesus, I find life because you're my everything. You're my only thing. One more thing, and then we will continue worshiping this morning. Peter's not actually done his statement. So he says in verse, let me just read 68 again. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Verse 69, and we have believed, Peter speaking on behalf of the disciples, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. When you believe, you gain understanding, and what you come to understand is that there is something special about Jesus. He is holy, he is righteous, he is love, he is just, he is your Savior, he was perfect, he's the Holy One of God. Having believed, we have come to know 
when Peter put his faith in Jesus, when Peter declared Jesus to be his everything, when Peter knew that he was a sinner and needed forgiveness, and he said, Jesus, you're my everything, that's when it clicks for Peter. In fact, if you read this in the Greek, the tense of verse 69, when it says, we have believed, there's different tenses. There's present tense, there's imperfect tense, there's the perfect tense. And the perfect tense in Greek means that there's a decision that is made at a point in time, and from that point in time forward, guess what? That decision affects the trajectory of your life. That decision remains true for the rest of your life. And so if you are sitting here this morning and you don't like where you're at, then make Jesus your everything and live differently moving forward you even put your faith in Jesus and you're struggling and you're looking for hope and you're looking for something and you're looking for encouragement, make Jesus your everything. And from this moment forward, the rest of your life begins. Make Jesus your everything for this is where life actually begins. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the life of Peter. Thank you for your word in which we can read about Peter and study his life, and know that he was a lot of things, but what was most important was who you were to in Jesus. And you were Peter's everything. Father, I pray for us in this room that we would make Jesus our everything, and that we would experience life from this moment forward. For those who do not know Jesus as their Savior, for those who are watching, who are in this room listening, if you don't know Jesus, make him your everything right now by embracing what he did on the cross, admitting that you're a sinner, and believing and trusting in his sacrifice so that you could have life from this moment forward. And Father, as we begin to study Second Peter, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears to all that you want to teach us through the book of Second Peter. Father God, thank you for this day where we remember those who have fallen and we remember, Lord, your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen.